hi guys for, for joining. I wanted to introduce uh, Forrest, Forrest Wiederman. He is, you're the VP, right? Yes. I'll, I'll let you talk about yourself, but Forrest <laughs> on a personal level is the man. He is so awesome, guys. When, when you decide to embark on this startup journey, you have to really be very mindful of who you are partnering with. There is so much noise out in the marketplace. There's so much noise in the Facebook group. And that's why if, if you like someone and you, you can trust them, make sure to just do business with that person. Like, and, and that is why, um, that's why Forrest uh, won my heart because Forrest is awesome. Anything that I need from him, from Bank of America, I have Forrest's cell phone number and I text him. And if you want his cell phone too, it's 925. <laughs> <just> 949. <laughs> <laughs> 949. Um, but yeah, so this this webinar series is a, uh, a meet and greet, get to know Forrest, get your questions answered. I know the group is super big and everybody is so intimidated at jumping on and, and asking questions because we don't want, you know, we don't want any backlash, but this is why we love this setting. So, um, so don't be shy guys. And, um, and we've already collected a few questions for Forrest. So Forrest, how do you want this webinar to play out while we're still waiting for other people to join? Yeah, no, I, I'd like for us to collect as many questions up front. Cause I mean, obviously we've got a couple questions and topics and things that we're going to cover. Um, but I want to make sure that we cover what the attendees are here to listen for um, and here to, to really gain some knowledge on. So if you do have any questions that you want to want me to cover, um, you can ask them in the chat box or where can we put them? Yeah, let's do the chat box. Okay, cool. And then I don't, can I see the chat box? Let's see. Um, I don't know. Can you see what Colin says? She said hi. I don't see it. You can just read them to me um, if that works as they come in. Okay. Well, I will. I will definitely let you know. So okay. uh, let's start with the questions that you have already. Yeah. Um, well, first off, I want to give you some kudos um, because we've been working together for a couple of years now, and just been an absolute pleasure, especially getting to know you and. Even more importantly, the group, just in general, um, I, I had the, the pleasure of coming to Napa last year and it was it was really cool for me to be able to see because I mean, I've been part of the group for a couple of years now. So I've seen um, everybody communicating online and asking questions and being super helpful, but bringing everybody together in, in one place, especially Napa, <laughs> was was really cool to get to see like how many lives are actually changed. Um, and if you remember, actually, there was one doctor individually that started crying and said that you saved her life, which was a true story. Um, so it's just really cool to get to see like how meaningful this group is and, and how important it is to stay connected to your group of professionals. Um, so I would like to start out by saying that. So thank you for all you do. And it's just been a pleasure getting to know you and becoming friends with you as well, outside of the, the business side too. So. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Forrest. Yes, of course. 
Um, so just wanted to open up and introduce myself. So as Ashley mentioned, my name is Forrest Wiederman. Um, I am with Bank of America Practice Solutions. So who is Bank of America Practice Solutions? <clears throat> so we are the boutique division within Bank of America that only does dental. So specifically, our Practice Solutions division, we have 400 employees. Um, we've got our internal shop in Ohio and in Arizona. And then there are about 45 business development officers like myself across the country um, in each, in each uh, metropolitan area, big markets. So even one step further than that, we're so specific in each individual market that there are two specific individuals per market. So we have an acquisition specialist. So doctor wants to buy a practice. We have somebody that specializes in that. So my teammate in Northern California, his name is CJ Williams. And then me specifically, I've, I specialize in the project financing. So first time practice owners wanting to start a practice, as well as someone like Ashley, who's ready to do a second location or expand or remodel or relocate or buy a building and expand your practice, buy equipment, anything along those lines. Um, so that's kind of us in a nutshell. So next, I think it's really important to discuss kind of what is important when it comes to um, a dental specific lender and what to look for when you are shopping alone, because that's very normal. I mean, you got to go out and get a couple of different approvals and just compare apples to apples to see what's the best fit for you in that situation. So the first thing I would say is obviously make sure they're dental specific. Um, and really that face-to-face -face contact, in my opinion, is so important because <clears throat> sitting down, having a conversation with your local banker is so important because, I mean, this is going to be probably one of the biggest financial decisions of your entire life, right? Um, other than maybe buying a home or whatever that may be, it's definitely up there. So having the comfort of knowing who is helping you out throughout this process is so important, especially when you're starting a practice from scratch, yeah. because it can take anywhere from six months to two years. So making sure that you know that you're working with somebody that does this day in and day out, um, I would say is probably one of the most important things. And then in addition to that, I mean, I would say when you're starting up a practice from scratch, there's more than just the loan, right? We're not, our bank's not called Loan of America, right? We're Bank of America. So what that means is making sure that there's all the additional banking products available in addition to the loan. Everything like check, like setting up your business checking accounts, merchant services, payroll, all these different things that we have the ability to offer because we have the number one small business banking platform in the country. Um, we don't require you to bring everything on. We only require one business checking account, but it's always good to at least see what other product offerings there are because um, when you're starting a practice from scratch, you don't have anything in place. So it's, it's a lot easier um, to have everything under one roof. And then in addition to that, I would say, so rate is obviously important, but in my opinion, it's not the most important thing. Second term. So the term is, I would say, probably the most important when it comes to um, the loan itself for a startup specifically. And why do I say that? Because the first probably three to four years within a startup practice is the most important because we want to make sure that. So what we do is we have 
um, what's called step payments. So the first year is small interest only payment. Second year is 50% of the full payment. The third year is 75%. And then years four through, we go up to 15 years for our startup. So the remaining would be full principal and interest payments. But it's important because you want to make sure that your pro that your monthly payment is growing with your practice, right? We want to make sure that overhead is low to start out for the first couple of years as you're growing because there's going to be growing pains. That's part of the process. But we want to make sure that you're not responsible for 100% principal and interest payment on day one with no patience, right? And then <clears throat> fees are important too to talk about. Um, so whoever you're working with, discuss fees. Um, we have very low fees, almost nothing. And then SBA versus conventional. So there is a place for SBA um, on a case by case basis if there's real estate involved that you're buying. But I would say 99% of the time, um, a startup loan, a first time practice owner startup loan, if you're leasing a space out, 100% financing conventional is hands down your best option. So if somebody tells you that you need to do an SBA loan and you're leasing out of space and you don't have a practice existing, I would suggest probably getting a second opinion. Uh, and then the last thing I would say also is long-term growth strategy. So what I mean by that is, of course, doctors have <clears throat> dreams of owning multiple practices. So if that is you, what I would say is have a conversation with that bank when you're starting up your first practice and say, hey, look, I want to get to practice three, four, five. Um, is that something that you guys have? So for us, we do have doctors that have five, 10, 15 practices. Uh, but the caveat there is that they started with us with number one. So it's all about responsible growth and making sure that we're not going to put you in a position to fail, right? Because, I mean, our default rate is less than half of a percent. Um, so dentistry is almost a bulletproof industry. So uh, making sure that you surround yourself with the right team is so important. Absolutely. Can you expand on, like, let's say, for instance, like what what in California are you seeing is a typical startup loan these days? Yeah, good question. So our standard first-time practice owner startup loan is $700,000 for a GP. And then for a specialist, we can get up to $750,000. So of that, let's just say for in this example, we're talking about a GP. So for example, for that $700,000, the only number that's set in stone is working capital, which is $100,000 of that loan. And the other two buckets, for the most part, are construction and equipment. So what I am seeing, and obviously Northern California being the beast that it is with construction costs and permitting costs and delays on projects, um, I'm seeing a lot of two things. Number one is making sure upfront when you're looking for space, you have to make sure that you're working with a dental lender as well as a dental real estate broker. Um, the reason that I say that and the reason that it's important to work with a dental specific real estate broker um, once you have an approval in place, really there's a few main things that I touch on when I'm having those conversations. Because number one, I would say if you have an approval in place already while you're submitting LOIs and looking for spaces, 
that landlord is going to take you more serious because you have an approval from the number one largest dental specific lender in the country. So they, they, they know you're serious. And then in addition to that, there are certain requirements that we have within our rent. So for example, $80,000 a year is our standard rent amount. Not saying that we have doctors that haven't had higher rent amounts. So the reason that I want the approval in place up front is because I can play with the numbers and see just kind of where that rent cap is and why is that important? Because then I can have a conversation with the real estate broker and say, hey, look, here's our rent cap. I know that this landlord is willing to contribute tenant improvement allowance. So for those of you that don't know what that is, usually the landlord will contribute a certain dollar per square foot in tenant improvement allowance. So they're going to pay for a portion of the construction. So with construction being 250 to $350 a square foot in my area for a 1500 to 2000 square foot space, the majority of that's going to be taken up from construction already within the 700,000. So it's really important to negotiate as much tenant improvement allowance as you can to make sure that we stay within budget. Um, because really the, the negotiations with the landlord, there's three main things um, that I care about. Number one is the free rent period during the build out. Number two is the constructor, the tenant improvement allowance. And then number three is just the, the typical rent amount. Um, so usually to kind of come back to your question full circle, so once we have at least an idea as to what the construction is going to cost, then at that point, we start to layer in the equipment. Then we layer in how much is it going to be for, for IT? Or do you have a consultant that you're working with? Marketing, furniture, all these other things start to get layered in just because the construction is really the biggest piece of it. Um, so what I have been seeing and what I've been doing in Northern California specifically is finding like a second gen space where it used to be a dental practice. Cause I mean, the majority of the cost for a, con for a contractor for a shell space is they're ripping the floors up and doing all the plumbing and the med gas and everything like that. So if that's already in place, it's not going to cost as much to do what I call like a facelift. Um, Cause then you're going to have more money for, um, technology and equipment for marketing, for branding, for whatever that may be. There's just more room. Um, but in addition to that, <clears throat> the first question I would ask would be, what was that practice before? Or what happened to that practice before? Did they default and go under or were they busting at the seams that they bought a building down the road and expanded? Because that's also an, an important piece to know, because the last thing you want to do is go into a space that the doctor ended up failing, right? Right. Um, excellent points, Forrest. We have a question. Does the rent cap annually include the triple net or just base rent? That's a great question. Um, it does. It's all inclusive. So triple net included. Triple net included. Okay. And... Um, so feel feel free, guys, to either voice your questions or you can type them in the chat and I will pay attention to them. Um, yeah, hopefully come off mute. <laughs> <laughs> come off mute, show your faces. Um, I wanted to, to touch upon the, the rates, the terms, I should say. So if 700,000, let's just play with numbers because 
everyone's trying to figure out if this is a feasible thing, right? They're going from associate to CEO. So if you said in Northern California, it's, it's pretty average 700 grand for a startup GP practice. And then for the first year, you said it was going to be interest only repayment. Can you give us a ballpark figure then of, of what that monthly would look like? Yes. Let me pull one up really quick while I have you on. Awesome. All right. So year one, you're looking at about 28 to 2,900 bucks. Year two is about 38 to 3,900. Year three is about 57 to 5,800. And then the final, this was, this is a, let's see here. And then the final 108 months is about 7,600 for the one I'm looking at here. That, I mean, do you guys hear that? That is so, I, w I don't want to say affordable, but I, if you think about your average production per day in your offices now, if you're not cutting a couple crowns and doing like hygiene checks and like bread and butter dentistry, you're going you're gonna to hit that in one day of production. So don't let the, the loan deter you from pursuing what you really want to do, which is build build your dream practice. You don't have to go hog your first your first one out, especially if you want to do multi-location. But that's what I love about like the tier process. You're not committed to, oh my gosh, I have to pay $10,000 in loans and I don't even know if I have patients the first month. Okay, so we have another question. So a second generation space, which was successful, and they moved down the street as they had to expand. Is that space considered attractive to set up an office, even though the competition, which is an established practice, moved down the street? Does the answer change if it's a specialist practice, pediatric dentistry, and you move into a second gen space to open a pedo practice? Yeah, no, good question. So I'll address the first part of the question first. So um, what I would say is, are they your competitor? No, not necessarily because they have their patient base that they're bringing with them. So the benefit of going into a practice that was successful, what's the most important thing for a dental practice? Location. So that location was successful. So as long as you put money into marketing and you continue and you build your brand the way you're going to build it, um, the location is really the most important thing that I see that I call out when you have a practice like that. And then the second piece to that, if you're a specialist going in there, if you're endo or if you're a periodontist, I mean, that could be a referral source for you. Mm -hmm. So I would say absolutely, it's definitely doable. You may have to reconfigure the office a little bit depending on the layout and depending on how you want to practice dentistry. Um, so there could be some changes within the aesthetics of the practice. Um, but I still think it's definitely a good opportunity. But what I would say is I, I always tell my doctors that are starting up a practice from scratch. Once you have a letter of interest submitted on a couple spaces that you're getting close on, bring your equipment specialist and bring your contractor and walk those spaces. 
because I've had times where the contractor will walk a space and say, hey, we've got to run electrical across this entire back wall. That's going to be an extra $90,000. So that may not be the right spot. And without you doing the due diligence up front, you would never know that without uh, before signing the lease. So that would be something I would say is make sure that you bring your team with you to walk the space and make sure that it's going to fit what the goal of your vision of your practice is. That is such a good piece of advice. And that is exactly what I did with both of my offices. Um, so, yes, I couldn't agree more, especially this is their first rodeo. So they're going to. We're going to point out all of the red flags if there are any. So, um, yes. And um, yeah, once again, if you guys have questions, type them in the chat or um, or turn on your, your camera so you can see your beautiful faces. <laughs> what, else? what else do you want to talk about, Boris? Yeah, so let's, let's jump into what the first-time practice owner profile looks like for a bank. Perfect. What you need to look like on paper yes. for me to be able to give you a loan. So when you're starting up a practice from scratch, it's different than when you're buying an existing practice. Because when you're starting up a practice from scratch, we use what's called projection-based lending. So we've been doing this for 25 plus years. We collect data on our startups. So we have certain projections that we expect from a regional level that our doctors are gonna do within the first four years. So what that means is, I'm going to ask you probably five to six questions. And as long as you check those boxes, I know I can get you approved. So let's talk about those boxes. So number one, if you're a GP, we need you at least to associate for one year. If you are a specialist, we can actually give you the keys to your practice as you're walking across stage and getting your diploma. So as a GP, one year specialist, we don't need you to associate um, if you do want to jump into practice ownership right out of school. Next, I would say your income. So once you get out of school, um, work full time, get your hand speed up, get your experience. I would say if you're, I would say probably aiming to make north of 130 to $140,000 a year. And if you're working full time, you can definitely do that. Um, your student loans, Look, we understand that student loans are important because you have to get student loans to go to dental school, right? So do we understand that it's good debt? Yes. We need to make sure that you know how to manage it once you graduate. Because once you start to get north of that five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar number, then we need to make sure that once you get out of school, and you are enter, enter, entering into repayment for your student loans, see what the options are. Because there's something called income-based repayment where you're only paying a portion of, um, of the monthly payment based off of the income that you're making. But be careful and don't pay nothing, right? Because that 500,000 that you come out of school with, if you're not paying the minimum, that 500,000 could turn into 700,000 in three years and you won't even be able to qualify to buy a TV at Best Buy at that point. <laughs> so making sure that you manage your student loans is important. Um, and then in addition to that, I would say your personal debt, we're looking at what your personal obligations are. So I used to call this the Tesla rule until Tesla's actually started to become affordable. Um, so I changed it to the, <laughs> to the Porsche rule. So when you get out of school, yes, it's exciting 
you've got your DDS license and you're going to start making a bunch of money, but don't jump into anything up front that you can't afford yet. So what that means is stay within your means. Don't buy the fancy car yet. Don't buy the expensive house yet because the bank is looking at that as a monthly obligation that you're bringing on as an expense. So the number that I use is about five to $6,000 a month um, to stay, to, to stay below, which includes your car payment, your, whether you rent or own your home and then your student loans as well. And then liquidity. So savings, this is an important one too. So we want to see about seven to 10% of the requested amount. So probably 50 to $70,000 um, in the bank. So just to clarify, we're not asking you to put any money down. We do hundred percent financing, but we just want to make sure that you have a rainy day fund that in the event that the practice has a down month that you aren't cash poor. Right. So just to kind of run back through that associate for one year, um, zero, if you're a specialist income, just start working full time, manage your student loans, manage your personal debts. Don't bring on too much and then save your money. So seven to 10%, so that 50 to 70,000. That's what I would say, just kind of from a high level, how I qualify when I'm having those conversations. And it's always good to have a conversation earlier rather than later um, with your local representative for Bank of America, because we can help coach you about, hey, let's run through these questions. I see there is a potential hole here or here. So maybe it's not a good time to apply yet. And let's get you in that position to when you are ready to apply, you know what metrics you need to hit. Right. And then is it really common to see a guarantor sign on? It, it depends. Yes. Yes and no. Um, it depends, right? Um, especially in California. It's a community property state. And in addition to that, it's not cheap, right? So if you say, for example, you and your spouse, say your spouse makes a lot of money and you can afford a $10,000 mortgage um, for through the household. So if you do have something like that, it is very common for banks to for banks to ask to have the guarantor sign on because once they sign on to the loan, then we get to account for their income because without them signing on, the bank looks at it that you are responsible for that $10,000 mortgage on your own because we don't get to account for your spouse's income. Right. So yes, it is pretty common. Um, it's case by case, depending on where you're at, but definitely in my area um, where it's not cheap to live, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty common. And we have a question. Do you need to provide a personal guarantee for the loan if you are a startup? Good question. So the bank's collateral is the business, the corporation. So basically you can think of it, whatever's in the practice, if you flip it upside down, whatever falls out, that's our collateral. So the, cor the, the corporation is what we are taking as a lien, but you personally are guaranteeing that corporation, but the bank is the bank's collateral is the actual practice entity and the corporation itself. Okay. Hopefully that answered that. Yeah. And um, do you have any common mistakes that you're seeing with, with new startups? Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes 
um, is I would say hiring people that are not familiar with dental. Mm -hmm. So your uncle, who's a litigation attorney, like he probably shouldn't be reviewing your lease, right? Mm -hmm. Um, your brother, who's a contractor, like if he doesn't have experience with dental, I would say, make sure that whoever you're working with knows what they're doing because it's going to cost you way more in the long run, even though that, that original bid may be a hundred, $150,000 less than the dental specific contractor. Um, I would say that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, in addition to that, the due diligence part, like I talked about in the beginning, you have to go through the process of understanding if the vision for your practice can actually fit into the space that you're looking at, right? Because I, because I use the metric about 400 square feet per operatory is kind of what we think is enough room. That's the, the number that we use. So if you're built, if you want to build out a fourth, four, four operatory space or four operatory practice, you want at least 2,000 square feet as well, just because you're going to want room for a staff area and for the front desk and everything like that. So making sure that you're connecting with your local equipment specialist to start, um, in my opinion, is the best place to start because a lot of these equipment companies to do what's called a fit plan um, to where they're going to come in, measure the space, and then they're going to create like a CAD file to see um, like a, it's actually pretty cool. It's like a 3D looking file to where you can see what the practice is going to look like and if it can fit in there. Mm -hmm. I would say those are probably two Two of the biggest things um, that I've seen. And then also another thing too, is don't, don't start too late putting together a marketing plan. Some of the more successful practices that I've seen have 50 to hundred patients already appointed and ready to come into the practice before the doors are even open. And how you do that is you make sure you have a nice marketing place or marketing plan in place. You've got a good website. You've got somebody to help you when a patient reaches out or lands on the website. They can they can do the appointment and schedule the appointment ahead of time. So the marketing piece is super important in my opinion. Um, and the last thing that you want is to rush, rush, rush at the very end. Right. No, absolutely. Um, I had a question, but I completely forgot about it because you were so um, good with your. <laughs> I, I like to hear myself talk. So if I'm talking no, too much, stop me. <laughs> so good. No, I was going, oh, yes, yes. Okay. Is there a minimum requirement or a cutoff for a credit score that you would? Yes, that is a good question. Um, so we want to see at least around 680 to 700 is kind of where we, where we want to see. And like your credit score, it's not like a home loan to where the higher your credit score, the better your interest rate is going to be. Um, that's not the case. So at least pay off your credit cards. Don't pile up a bunch of credit card debt because so here's a good, here's a good, um, uh, a good analysis for you. Good example for you. So we've got Dr. A who just graduated has $500,000 in the bank. Or sorry, not 500,000 in the bank. I wish oh, uh, 500,000 in student loans oh, <laughs> and 50,000 um, in the bank. So that's doctor number A. Doctor B came out of school with the same amount, 50, um, 500,000 student loans, 50,000 in the bank, but they stroked a check for 50 grand and now their student loans are 450 and they have zero in the bank. 
So who do you think the bank likes more, A or B? Um, A? Yes, <laughs> because of the savings, right? The liquidity. So my point is making sure that you're managing, uh, managing your expenses and making sure that you're doing the right things are important, is super important at the very beginning. Yes. How about we talk about some pros and cons? Cause you are definitely right. Well, you're getting towards the end, but this is your second one. Yes. So I will, I'll, I'll go back at you and see what do you think are some of your pros and cons in your experience? Oh man. Okay. So besides the sleepless nights, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's worth it guys. Like I, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are most likely in the startup group, but I mean, to, to be able to design exactly what your practice is going to look and feel like is like, it's like a high unlike any other. I still walk into my office and, and I'm just amazed at, at what was created. And um, I know that a lot of people are no longer, well, I, would, I wouldn't say no longer, but if you acquire a practice, if you buy a practice, yes, you are purchasing the, uh, the patient flow, but you also inherit any bad habits of the team, any bad habits that the, of the patients that the office has allowed, and um, any pros and cons. Definitely a pro, you will never get fired again, which is such <laughs> a pro. Um, yeah. The cons are now, yes, it is uh, definitely more expensive to build post-COVID, delays are awful, and um, yeah, it, but nonetheless, any, pro, any cons are definitely outweighed by the pros, like especially if you surround yourself with the right team from the beginning, and really look at your budget, really look at like what are you able to spend, um, don't go over that, Ashley. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Um, I, I'm, you guys are going to do great. Like the C of transitioning from associate to CEO is like a breath of fresh air, regardless if you acquire or start up your own thing and, um, all pros, all pros, yeah. all pros, yeah. all pros. Um, I think that's, that's basically, that was my soapbox. Cause I got, uh, I mean, I could talk about this for uh, hours. You know that. <laughs> yes, uh, so could I. <laughs> yes. Um, no, so, yeah. And I would say I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, you get a blank canvas, right? You get to design it how you want. You get to create like a Pinterest board, put ideas together. You get to see how it's going to end up turning out. Um, I've actually had doctors where I've gone on spacewalks and <laughs> one of the equipment specialists I work with has one of the VR goggles That's and awesome. he'll upload what the practice is going to look like and then walk the doctor around the space oh my and they get to see what it's going to, it's such like, I thought, I thought she was going to start doing backflips. Why did I get that? That's <laughs> hey, talk to your equipment guy. <laughs> Dude, I know Brian. Uh, yeah. No, that um, so cool. but no. And so in addition to that equipment and technology, I mean, now it's 2023 your patients want the latest and greatest and the technology and equipment move changes so fast so 
you have the ability to buy brand new equipment that can last you upwards of 15, 20, even 30 years. Uh, you get to hire and train how you want. As Ashley said, there's certain habits. Um, if you buy a practice, for example, let's say Susie the hygienist puts the tray here instead of here, and it's the end of the world. And that's sometimes, believe it or not, that happens. So getting to create and build just the company or the, the practice up to how you want it to be. And the company culture is so important oh. because especially, I mean, you know, you've got the best staff on the planet the and they best. love you. And I would say you can probably attest to this too. That's probably a big reason why you've been so successful is, I mean, having this with having the right team around you in the practice and when you're building it, I would say those are the two most important things that I see successful practice owners, because especially when you're starting up a practice from scratch, the biggest issue is budget, right? Because the bank's only going to give you a certain amount of money. And if you don't stay within that amount of money, you're not going to get any more money for the most part. So the point of that is, is when you have a dental specific contractor an equipment specialist, an architect, a designer that does this every single day, they understand that we have to work within a budget. And they know that if things end up going south and dollar amounts keep going up, guess who's going to be the first phone call they get? Yep. Me. <laughs> and I, I don't want to be the bad guy, but I have been the bad guy before. And it's not a fun conversation. So the point is, that's a huge piece to why we keep talking about the team, the team, the team. I can't reiterate that enough, how important it is to make sure that who you are working with has done this before successfully. And another thing, too, when you're hiring and you're interviewing contractors, equipment specialists, attorneys, CPAs, whoever it is you're talking to, ask them for a referral for a, pro a project they've done. Go visit the practice, have a conversation with the doctor and say, hey, what was your experience like? Did you have any issues? Did you have hiccups? Was it a good experience, bad experience? Because then you get it firsthand from a colleague that went through it already. Mm -hmm. So those are other things, too, that you can do up front to make sure things go smooth. Because in addition to that, too, whoever you're working with, you've got to like them because you're going to be working with them and talking to them for probably over a year. Yeah. So you've got to be able to have somebody that is open-minded and willing to take your calls and willing to listen to you and is going to be a pleasure to work with. Um, so that would be another thing that I would, I would point out too. A hundred percent. And then the cons, <laughs> we, and we didn't, we don't want to talk about the cons too much, but there are definitely cons to starting up a practice. Um, the time it takes. So, I've had doctors that have found a space in two months. Uh-oh. Oh no, we lost Forrest, guys. Okay, well, I'm gonna ask, ask, uh, there you are. There you are. I thought I was gonna <laughs> run solo. <laughs> no, we're good. I just need to make sure to play with my mouse every like minute. Oh. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've had doctors that it's taken four months, two months to find a space. I've had doctors that it's taken, I had one that finally just signed a lease a couple months ago. It's been four years. So it can, I know it can take a long time. 
um, depending on really where you're looking, where you want to be, if you're open to moving, if you're stuck in one spot. Um, so finding a location, I would say, is probably is, is one of the cons. Construction is a huge one. You've got construction delays. You've got permitting delays where it's taking two months, three months, four months to even get a permit. So that even emphasizes more importance on making sure your real estate broker negotiates time for you to be able to build out the space because a lot of it's going to be waiting for the permit to be done, right? Because, I mean, construction takes usually once you have a permit four to six months, maybe, depending on the space. Second phase, probably a little bit less. But usually from that standpoint, I would say the construction, it's not easy. Um, it takes time and it takes blood, sweat, and tears. But as Ashley said, I mean, it's worth it. It really is. Uh, beginning without a patient base. I mean, that's a scary thing too, right? You're taking on $700,000 of debt when you probably already have a couple hundred thousand in student loans too. So you're probably getting close to a million dollars with zero patients. It is scary, but that's why the loan is tiered. That's why you make sure that you have patients already signed up and ready to go before your doors even open. Having a grand opening party is so much fun because you can invite local, local, comp local small businesses, your friends, your family, and from there, you can start to build more of a patient base, which I think is great. And also, I would say we don't require you to associate during um, the first couple of years or at all during the practice as you're building it up. But I would say, I mean, definitely don't stop working because we know that you're not going to be full four or five days a week from day one. You're going to maybe do two days a week in your practice, two days a week at your associateship. And as you're, as you're, schedule starts to fill up, then you can maybe take only work one day a week at the associateship and three days a week at the practice. So it's just additional income that you're going to be making that we want you to make um, that I would suggest you probably do. Um, so that would be another another pain point, another con, uh, I would say, that, that I run into. Um, okay, we have a question. Do you like to see a demographic analysis for the space before approving loan, or do you assist with demographic analysis? Is there an ideal patient to dentist ratio you'd like to see or recommend, especially for pediatric dentists? Yeah, that's a good question. So we don't require a demographic report. I would, I would absolutely encourage it um, because, and there's a handful of companies out there that do really great dental demographic reports. I don't know specifically on the ratio from patient to doctor that's good for pediatric. And I think it's also dependent on where you're at geographically. Um, but what I would say is the demographics are so important because you've got to make sure the type of dentistry and the type of practice that you're building attracts to that patient base, right? So what do I mean by that? You're not going to build a fee-for-service practice in Beverly or a, um, like a dental practice in the middle of Beverly Hills, right? So you've got to make sure that the feel and the look of the practice is going to fit the demographic of the community that you're in. Right. Right. And, um, and take the demographic report with a grain of salt also. 
Um, because if you do, I mean, okay, so all of my pedo friends are freaking killing it. You know why? Because no parent wants to not take their kid to the dentist and they will make, uh, they will part waves to pay for whatever their kid needs. When it comes to their own treatment, it's like pulling teeth, uh, <laughs> unintended, but everybody loves, like, everybody wants to take their kids to the dentist. And I, I mean, gosh, especially you have so much runway as a pediatric doc, you can have so many cool, fun themes and have like, like big grand opening parties where you're inviting all of the, every, everyone, like all of the mommy groups on Facebook, like there, there should not be an issue at all. I guarantee you, if I was a pedodentist, I would have so many, so many things. <laughs> You'd be on your seventh practice by now. <laughs> <laughs> And when kids are so fun. Well, and and to add on to that, like some of the financials that I look at, like practice owners, pediatric dentists do so well. Oh, like practices are crazy. Yeah. Successful. Oh, yeah. Successful. So good. Yeah. So just do it. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> like Nike. <laughs> like Nike. Um, do you guys have any other questions or Boris, do you have any, any other topic you want to discuss before we, we start wrapping up? No, I mean, the last, the last bullet point I have is just talking about the team, which is what we've been talking about. So what, I, what I'll tell you is, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are going to try to sell you something. So what I would say to that is ask peers, ask your banker, because at the end of the day, my job, my every single day is I, I'm working with the dental specific contractors, real estate brokers, equipment specialists, CPAs, attorneys, uh, consultants, insurance, marketing, everything that you can think of. Like I'm the one that's introducing my clients to these people locally because these are the people that I trust. And these are the people that I know are going to take care of my clients and get them to the finish line. So my point is, is making sure, because at the end of the day, selfishly, what does the bank care about? We care about you making your payment and paying us back. So what that means is, is I am going to surround you with the people that I trust the most that I know are going to do an amazing job. Um, and it's going to be a smooth process. Absolutely. Oh, and then do we want to talk about the, uh, bus tour and then oh, Napa I mean, was out with that. Yes, I can't believe <laughs> we even talked about how we were going to start the webinar with this. But if any of We got guys, too excited. <laughs> we got too excited. Uh, if any of you guys are in Northern California, we'd love to have you. We're hosting a startup bus tour, Bank of America, Patterson, HR for Health, Rome, uh, the making of. Um, and you guys are going to- too. Oh, yes, yes. Um, that's on- yeah. Saturday, what, what June 7th, Saturday, Saturday. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so oh, no. yes, yeah, so I was just going to say, so the idea, yeah, we, so we started it down in Southern California. Um, I think it was earlier this year. So it was such a success and it's, it's a new fun type of not having to listen to death by PowerPoint and listen to me talking about hey, your credit score needs to be here, save money, this and that. So what we're doing is, is we are chartering a bus. So we're picking up at Ashley's 
practice, her new one. Um, and we have four different practices that we're going to go visit. Um, all of them were different. So, for example, we've got one that is a second gen space to where it was a dental practice before, upgrading equipment, doing a facelift. So that's one of them. Another one is just a normal scratch startup. Uh, the third one is actually a purchase. It was like a, a cheap, small practice that the doctor bought and then did a similar type of facelift too. Um, and then we are going to finish at here's practice one. And then once we get to the very end, we get to see Ashley. Once you grow your practice, you can have what Ashley has in her big second, beautiful dream office. So um, yeah, it's, I'm so excited. It's going to be a blast. It, it really is. It's going to be so much fun and you can hang out with us, really ask your questions. Um, well, we're an open book. So yeah, it, it'll be a good time. And then if you are wanting to drink some wine, we're come to our retreat in November. We're, we're dedicating a full week with all of the best and brightest minds in dentistry. And we're going to, we're going to congregate and eat and drink wine and, um, learn how to be um even better than we are so and make more money too right <laughs> oh, yes <laughs> make more money oh, all right yeah. well um thank you forrest for hanging out with us for for this hour you guys reach out to forrest he's amazing even if he is not in your state he can contact whoever is in your state and get you uh connected and then also to one, one more thing to, to leave you with. So we do have a business plan, like a startup dental business plan template. Um, we don't require it to apply or anything, but if you guys want to see that, I'd be happy to send it out. So feel free to, to contact me directly and I'll send you that uh, business plan template too. Perfect. Take them up on that offer. All yes. right, guys. You guys have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, everyone. Yes. Yeah, and um, we'll see you. We'll see you guys soon. All right, sounds good. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.